Stalkers. Speaking Destroy is the podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Cavalier Attack guitarist Vidar Landa, who met James Hetfield when the Metallica frontman came to see his band at a club in San Francisco. The Norwegian metal act, who are also a favorite of the guys in Mastodon, Converge, and Ghost, among other bands, went on to play multiple shows with Metallica, including the historic gig at London's O2 Arena in 2017, which broke the venue's attendance record. If you'd like to support Speaking Destroy, you can do so on Patreon, where you get access to exclusive bonus episodes, and you can leave a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Like this one from Rot Dano. Destroy, a plethora of awesome. If you're not listening to Speaking Destroy, then you should question what you're doing with your life. Seriously, though, this is great, and I love Downey. Creepshows writes, every other Metallica podcast can retire now. Metallica fans with podcasts are one thing. Speaking Destroy is in a class all its own. Sitting down with current and past legends in the music industry to talk about how Metallica shaped them has instantly made Ryan Downey a legend himself. Ah, come on. The greatest metal band of all time just got even more interesting thanks to this podcast. Metallica needs to officially bless Speak and Destroy right now. Thank you, Creep Shows. That is maybe the best review on here in all of the reviews on Apple Podcasts. But I need more. More. Give me more. Because they really help. You can find Speak and Destroy at speakanddestroy.com. You can follow Speak and Destroy on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ, and subscribe to the other shows in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, which include Pop Curse, featuring musicians talking movies, and No Prize from God, featuring conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. You know that part in Deadpool, or maybe it's Deadpool 2, where they're talking about Kirsten Dunst, and he's like, Kirsten, Kristen. Well, here it is, my conversation with Kelvertak. 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 Guitarist Vidar Landa. This is Speak and Destroy. tell me about your earliest introduction to music and at what point you then made the turn from okay this is something that I love and appreciate to this is something I need to participate in I need to create I need to be part of making this and I can't just be in the audience um good question I, th- I think for me pretty early on um I was I was lucky growing up. I had an older brother and um, an older cousin who introduced me at a very early age to a lot of uh, rock music and, and heavy metal and stuff. And and uh, you know it, it it made a pretty big impact when you're. I mean I was 
probably only six or seven years old the first time I heard some of uh, some of the bands that I that I still listen to. That that includes Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith and a lot of those bands that were around and pretty big and you know the early nineties for for me. I'm born in '87, um, and uh, and I started playing guitar without really knowing what I was doing with it. But it was it was very pretty. Well, the music and everything was pretty all-consuming at an at an early stage. <laughs> That's great that it was that it started so young, and and I think unusual even in that it was a lot of the stuff that you ended up playing. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Um, you know, one of the things that's great about Europe and Scandinavia in particular, you know, when I've interviewed friends and, and musicians and, you know, talked to folks from Norway and Sweden and, you know, all these countries where all these great bands come from is I often hear a lot about music education there. I was first tipped mm -hmm. off to this. 1999 2000 my old band had the opportunity to do a couple of tours within flames and those guys were telling oh, me cool. about you know playing playing in like high school that they had like rock band as a class so there were <laughs> rehearsal rooms and you know instruments and gear and stuff like that and they were able to go in there and you know start making death metal during their school period yeah. and this of course is an experience that is extremely alien to those of us who grew up in america uh, yeah <laughs> what can you <laughs> what can you tell me about that from from your perspective what was your experience with with uh, music yeah, I, on the education side i think it's i think it's a bit different from 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 where you live especially in, in the bigger cities they often have you know more uh more to offer with you know places to rehearse and and all that but um but we, but you start pretty early at an at a pretty early age you are um you can go to you know music schools and stuff like that which are you have to pay for it but most of it is is paid by um uh, by the state so it's you know so everybody depending if you you know you don't need to come from a a rich family to you know take classical piano lessons or you know Learn how to play the electric guitar, uh, which is a, which is a great thing. And uh, we did we didn't really have uh, uh, you know being you know playing rock wasn't a part of uh, the school that I went to. But you had the opportunity, and you know you could borrow instruments, and and there were rooms if you wanted to play. So the the hardest part from for a lot of people that were very. Um, uh, interested in, in music and bands were maybe more to find, you know, like-minded people. <laughs> but the, the so the the opportunities to play and learn how to play an instrument was was definitely there. But yeah, but then as you said, it's a matter of finding people who want to play the same type of stuff you want to play. Yeah. How difficult was that for you as as you started jamming with other people? Um. No, it, it it took a while to find people that were into the same um, kind of things and and actually knew how to to play. But there were, I guess, maybe in in high school there were other people around that were into the same type of music or just you know music and bands in in general. But uh, 
but yeah, it, it took some years before, you know, you, you got to know people outside of, you know, the place in the city where you live and, and we started to go to shows and see gigs and, you know, meet like-minded. But there were a, there were a great scene in in the neighbors. I'm from Stavanger, um, and the the neighboring city had a a pretty big like hardcore straight edge um, scene um, where uh, there were all ages shows. Because in in Norway you you can't really go to shows if you're under 18. Because there's at all venues they serve alcohol, and if they serve alcohol you have to be 18 years to get in. So it was pretty cool that they had this, you know, kind of hardcore straight edge community um, where young kids put up shows that everybody could go to. And they had you know, bands from everywhere around Europe and, and the States playing. That's great. Um, so yeah. that, was, that was a that was a big thing. And that, that's uh, an education for me because, you know, I, I got into the straight edge. You know, I, I grew up into New Wave and punk and then metal and then you know as a teenager was really into hardcore and punk and the straight edge scene that i was initially part of even as we started learning about bands from europe and, and everything in the 90s i still thought of that as like germany um <laughs> you know of course the refused guys mm -hmm. i suppose but i believe this is the first time i've ever heard of norwegian straight edge <laughs> <laughs> no it, w it was a it was a pretty uh it was a pretty well. I mean, it was still underground, but it was mm -hmm. it was a pretty big big thing. Um, That's cool. In on on the west coast of Norway, but also there there were both in Oslo and and actually up north, these small cities way up north in Norway, um, had like a hardcore straight edge festivals and and a lot of bands. Wow. That's super cool. Mm -hmm. I, I, see, I, I learned things doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, so one band that gets mentioned a lot in, you know, when people write about yours, and this is cool. Mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, this certainly isn't a bad thing, but Thin Lizzy comes up. And obviously you don't sound mm -hmm. like Thin Lizzy, but I also understand why it gets brought up and, and where that's that's in there. And that, of course, is a band that is a big influence on Metallica. You know, not only did they cover mm -hmm. Whiskey in the Jar, but, you know, going way, way back, you know, of course, there's the new wave of British heavy metal and all of the influences and inspirations and the punk stuff and everything that we know all those guys were into. But there was also some bare bones, you know, Aerosmith and Lizzie, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Where did that more sort of traditional hard rock enter into the picture for you? It's 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 kind of always been there. Both, you know, bands like Guns N' Roses and 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 even Metallica, they were kind of on the on the same type of mixtapes that I was given on on cassette. Um, so it's it's kind of been there, you know, since forever. Um, but um, but then you know you you learn. And you get into bands. The even there's a lot of band even within Listy. That's that's not a band that I grew up with, but which I'm kind of still uh, discovering their uh, discography. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's uh, I, I guess that's the the fun part of of still, you know, being able to because a lot of these bands were maybe uh, had their you know peaked when i was too young or not even born um 
so it's uh yeah it for it's just i guess it's depending on you know what era and what bands were the most popular before at least before you you know were old enough to start you know buying records and and really being able to discover more stuff by yourself yeah you know i was just going to say the same thing you did which is that that's part of the continuing fun as we get older mm -hmm. is that there are still all of these legendary and important bands with dense catalogs that no matter how much time you've spent immersing yourself in music and how much new music you're discovering or celebrating or complaining about or whatever the case may be yeah there are always these these things to go take deep dives in i have for example, you know, nobody lives forever and there's the ticking clock for everyone, but I still have it on my to-do list to have a Pink Floyd face someday. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like I know yeah, the... Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like I know the main songs that everybody knows, and uh, yeah. but but I know that there, yeah, I know that there's a rich, dense, amazing catalog there to explore, and I just I just yeah. never have. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, and, and the, but the cool thing about a lot of these bands is that they they put out so many albums and also in in, in different you know eras so mm -hmm. maybe i heard a song of some you know say whatever band it is and uh, and that maybe that album that song was from something they made in the 80s and at that time when i heard it it was the early 20s and i know it early 2000 and you know that sound i didn't really you know either enjoy or or like at that time and then you know suddenly things changes a little bit and you listen to other types of music and you discover new things and then you go back and like oh this actually sounds pretty good now i, I like this now yeah. <laughs> i did it 10 years ago but uh yeah and certain uh, things that change about you with your life experience and everything the way yeah. you'll you'll hear something differently or it'll strike a different chord with you uh, yeah, if i if all i had heard of the beatles for example was you know i want to hold your hand and and stuff like that i would have thought no whatever I, I get i get why this is important but this isn't for me but then i hear you know something from george harrison's first solo album and i'm like oh mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah. yeah i get it and it, that's that's again what's so great about and i put metallica in this category especially now that have mm. long and complicated discographies you know where there, yeah, but... there are different eras and different things to they're yeah. a great example of that for for me because like load and reload came out in i don't know what is it 90 mid 90s mid 90s yeah. 96 97 yeah and um and that was kind of the first time that i was you know i've, I've heard the older stuff before but that was the first time i was kind of you know we had i think at that time we had at least I think we had MTV, at least we had channels that showed music videos. So I was kind of around and, you know, listening to music myself at that point when those albums came out. And I, you know, there's so many songs there I think are, are great. But I remember at the time that other Metallica fans were, you know, they weren't necessarily into their new direction. Um, and I think that's also a, a kind of an example of how I've had this with with other bands, some some Norwegian bands that I've I've been really into. I met one of the guys when we played a show, and I started talking about this album, which was the first album I got mm -hmm. of their band. And I said, "That album is that's, that's a really good album." He was like, "What? That, that's the first time he'd ever heard anybody <laughs> like that album. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like nobody else of their fans cared about that. But that was because they had been listening to them from the start. So when that album came out, they 
you know, compared to whatever they've done before. But for me, that was the first time hearing that type of music. So yes. that yeah. album became more important. And listening back, I can kind of understand now that, you know, people weren't that into it at the time. But for me, it didn't really matter. You know, you bring up two things that come up semi-regularly on the podcast. One is that generationally, you know, in 96 and 97, you know, those records are now more than 20 years old. And, you mm -hmm. know, for a lot of fans think of, who think of Load and Reload as new Metallica, let alone fans who think of the Black Album as new Metallica, or who think of mm -hmm. Jason Newstead as the new bass player, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, a lot of it is, is relative to your own experience. And, and the other thing that you that you've touched upon that comes up, and it's kind of something I've somewhat studied, I suppose, in my role as a journalist over the years, especially is, uh, you know, I call it time, place and circumstance, which is the way that you're when and where you encountered a certain band is going to color your view of their overall legacy. And, and mm. sometimes I try to separate best and favorite, right, where you can look at one of these legendary bands and say, well, I recognize that as objectively speaking as possible as you can with art, this is the best album or this is the most important album, but this other album is my favorite. Like I try yeah. to be cognizant of that. I remember one time I really, when this theory or whatever you want to call it started to crystallize for me as I was having a debate with a friend who was insistent that Seasons in the Abyss was the best definitive Slayer album. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I love that record, you know, but I'd never heard anyone argue that point, let alone so passionately. And then it came out through the course of the conversation that that was the current Slayer record when he discovered Slayer and when he discovered extreme metal in general. Mm -hmm. So it's like, aha, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's going to be the one for you as opposed yeah, yeah. to just a one. So I try to take that into account as well when I'm, you know, talking with people. I remember doing a story on a band and this was in and of itself probably 10 years ago, but uh, the singer for the band was telling me, yeah, you know, our new album is, is like a very like classic metal album. Like we really went back to our roots, you know, some of our earliest influences. And I was like, Oh, who are some of those bands? And he was like, you know, old school stuff like Unearth and bleeding through and darkest hour. And as I lay dying and I was like, but then I, you know, I have to remind myself like, well, this kid I'm talking to is 21, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, if that was 10 years ago, well, you know, 10 years before when all those bands were dominating Ozfest, he was like, you know, 11. Yeah. So <laughs> try to keep that in mind and not be so yeah. cynical and, and try to remind myself also that people that are 10 years, 20 years older than me, you know, will hear things come out of my mouth where they can shake their head and be like, oh, this yeah. new Jack, you know? <laughs> so, but I think that the perspective, like you were saying with the, you know, the guy from the band that you talked to and he was like, what, mm. that record? I think that it helps those bands overall for f different fans to discover different records in a relative vacuum. Yeah. You know, how would you have perceived or embraced this record or that record without all of that context? And especially mm. without age and experience and, and once you're in a band and you know all these different things that you understand when metallica puts out a new song tomorrow 
mm. you're going to hear it differently than at any other yeah. point in your life. You just have to, you know, you, you just, you understand so much more. You've heard so much more. You, you can tune in on different choices about the mix and the mastering and the, and none of that stuff's there when you hear these bands for the first time. No, it, it, it's not. And I, I actually missed that yes. a lot. Yes. And I, I try to remind myself now listening to music that, you know, when you know when 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 you know music has always been so so important and you listen to to things and you you enjoy it and you know you it's there through different phases of your life and and I was a teenager listening I I never sat down and was like ah but the mix is kind of <laughs> I wish this was louder and you know it's a weird guitar sound I, that didn't exist for me it was just this is this is this sound great this song is awesome. So I try that now sometimes when I hear things and yeah, like you said, when you know how everything works and you recorded albums yourself and, and whatever, all that to just, you know, try not to, to listen to music in, in the way you listen to your own stuff, just, mm. you know, be pure and, and free from all, from all that knowledge. <laughs> it makes me but think it's, about it's hard to take it away. It reminds me of how. I, I, a friend of mine in a band say this to me the other day. He, he realized, you know, he had a plan to re-record, remix, remaster some of his band's classic albums, and then he ultimately decided against it because he said, you know, I realized watching other bands do this, it, the bands are doing it for themselves because mm. the fans, no matter how many flaws you know about in a particular record or how much you wish it had been done differently or how much you you know, would like to do it now with the tools you have now, the experience you have now and so forth. The fans are just so used to hearing it that way. And mm. they discovered it that way that they're never going to accept a re-recording as anything more than like a curiosity, you know, a novelty. They're certainly not going yeah, to replace the original. No. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why bands do that. I can understand that you, you are, you know, looking back, you're, you know, there's stuff you wish you'd done differently or, you know, the, the master or the, the mixing and, and everything. But it's still also, you know, a part of it's kind of um, um, it says something about the time that it was recorded in that I think is kind of um, weird to try to take take away and do over again. But, uh, you know, sometimes it works out if you, when people do remixes, I guess. And, uh, you know. But I, I just don't understand. Yeah, you know, I love the both of the remix remastered versions of Killing Is My Business. Because mm. you hear so, it just everything's so much clearer. Uh, but then, you know, there were a bunch of Megadeth records that were remixed and remastered in like 2003, 2004 that I, I think they're all pretty terrible. Mm. <laughs> and I much prefer the original, so... And that's where you get into like the. Yeah, I mean, it depends how much you do with it as well. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there was a lot of talk among fans prior to the Injustice for All box set mm. coming out about you know, oh, is it gonna are they gonna remix it and put the bass back in there? And even Jason Newstead has said that while he appreciates the fan demand for that, he doesn't mm. he doesn't want it messed with. You know, it's just the record is what it is. It sounds how it sounds. The bass is or lack thereof as part of the story. And then even yeah. from a standpoint of like frequencies, like uh, there's nowhere to put it. 
You know, you're, you hear yeah. some of these <laughs> that people do on YouTube and it's just, you know, all of a sudden it's like Les Claypool's playing bass or something like it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, that's an overcorrection. Um, so yeah, sometimes it just, it yeah. is what it is. It is. So how did your band end up connected to Metallica? What was the first, uh, introduction or communication or you know, idea, when did you, when did you first become aware that they even knew who you were? I guess is a good first question. I think the first time that we became aware of that for real was when, uh, we played in San Francisco at, I think the name of that venue is Slims. <laughs> Do you know of that? I, th I think it's a pretty known club in What's San Francisco. Sorry, Sl Slims. Oh yeah. Slims. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. So we were we were playing. That was our, I think it was our first headline tour in the states in maybe 2013 um, or 14. And uh, and I think it, the chef that works there came and told us after soundcheck that James Hetfield had called and was coming to the show, and uh, we didn't really. Uh, we thought maybe he was just making a joke or, you know, there was some kind of rumor. And uh, and at that same day, the, the it's, it's pretty funny because the, at the same day, the, the crown prince of Norway was in, in the U.S. for some meetings. And he had scheduled in his, you know, official program to go to a Kvela Talk show at that club. Amazing. So while we were, we knew that he was going to be there, but, uh, he's just, but we didn't. He's just excited that you've never burned anything down or murdered anyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but it was a weird mix up of people being there with him, with all the security, um, people and his wife. And, uh, and suddenly when we didn't see James Hatfield before we were playing and he was pretty close up to the front row and was, was headbanging. Wow. Um, and we had, a yeah, we had a talk with him after the after the show. He was just very excited, loved the the show and the band, and and um, I don't remember too much uh, of what else we were we were talking about. I think we were just all very starstruck, um, but it was uh, it was a pretty big big thing for us, uh, just that he was there. And then later on, I think we heard you know Lars Ulrich talk about us in different contexts and uh and yeah only a year later i think we were invited to to open up for them when they were doing um a kind of stadium festival tour um uh, in in europe so we did four shows with them the the summer after and uh but that was you know that was a big bill i think there were different bands on the different dates there were always three bands playing and we were first first one out but it, it was still a pretty amazing experience and uh yeah and from there on we played a, at a festival at Roskilde festival that Metallica was headlining and James came over and saw the show side stage and not too long after that we were invited to do the the yeah the main support uh, for the worldwide European arena run in yeah, 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. 
which considering 2020 has has felt like it's about 10 years long it seems like yeah. 15 years ago now but it does um you know to get the salute from anyone in the band uh, but especially mm. James or Lars but the but to get it from both of them that's mm. pretty monumental especially these days because you know they both enjoy and experience a lot of different kinds of music and end up talking about mm. totally different bands and in interviews which is great you know that's part of the beauty of the band is they're four very different people but for you to have both of those guys you know one of them come see you and talk to you and then another mention you in interviews and then to get the nod for the shows that's just above and beyond yeah, i think it's and I, I think that you know it's it says a lot about about that not just because it was the band i'm playing in that they're bringing out but just that they you know still use that i mean they've been around for so long and they've they've toured so much and just that they actually you know care to go out and see new bands and and even bring them on tour like that especially you know the band from norway screaming in norwegian uh <laughs> to do you know we're not exactly our sound isn't exactly made for arena tours so it's it's cool that they that they don't really you know look at things that way they just think that this this sounds cool and we like the band and let's let's take them on tour so yeah I, that's uh, yeah. one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is celebrating how much metallica celebrates other bands whether mm. it's the bands that inspire them or the bands that they continue to discover and love as they go forward because they don't have to <laughs> yeah. you know they're <laughs> yeah. they're in a position where they could just go out with no opening band yeah. And they wouldn't have to ever wear anyone's T-shirt or go see anyone's band or recommend anyone's band or cover anyone's band. And the fact that they, from the very beginning, from literally the very first show they ever played, where they did, you know, more Diamond Head songs than Metallica songs, mm. they've they've kept that in their DNA. And and I especially love a lot of the bands that were influential to them that, you know, might have toiled away in some kind of relative obscurity without that Metallica spotlight on them, not only in terms of the legacy of those bands, but that those songwriters get to, you know, pay their mortgage maybe. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. Buy something I mean, with the publishing, you know. There are so many bands I discovered through Garage Inc. Uh, yes. That I wouldn't necessarily have heard about if it wasn't before, or at that early age for me, if it wasn't for Metallica. You know, absolutely. I, when I had Animal from Anti-Nowhere League on the podcast, he was saying that mm. in the early 90s, you know, the band was long over and he had gone back to working construction. <laughs> and Metallica had him up on stage at Wembley to sing So What With Them. <laughs> and that ended up resurrecting the band. And the, you know, yeah. his, his band has been back and active since then. It's amazing. It's so cool. So absolutely cool. Oh, it's uh, it's a pretty unique thing, and it's it's also I think they're they're they probably know how much power they have, but just that they can, you know, it's they took another Norwegian band out on on a tour last year, and and like the same thing with us. There's no that they you know no record company or you know, management or you know what contacts you have or whatever. It's just cool that you know Lars Ulrich can just sit at home and or James or whatever, listen to a band and then, you know, get in touch and bring them on, you know, the biggest tour that any band could ever uh, dream of. Uh, yeah. 
it's just nice that things are still you know happening that way that it you know that it did when you know those bands and we started playing where you know you go on tour with bands that you you like just because you like their music i've got uh a week from tomorrow i'll be speaking with uh yorn from uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> from that band so <laughs> that <Yeah>. you're speaking <laughs> okasa so, yeah i'm always i'm always afraid of uh there's certain band names i'm always afraid of mangling i mean you know i've <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to Emperor since the '90s, and I've interviewed uh, Isan, Isan, but I'm always, mm -hmm. I'm always afraid I'm saying it wrong, even when I'm talking to him. Uh, <laughs> better, uh, better safe than sorry, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, what can you tell me about that experience of, you know, particularly the World Wired tour when you're when you're doing a lot of dates with them? Uh, mm. You know, of course, a band their size, any band their size, not just them it's a lot of machinery there's you know people getting in before dawn to start setting everything up and all of that so there's not really an expectation it's not like touring with other bands and in, in club environments where you see each other at soundcheck a lot and you're at catering and you're all kind of milling around together um with that being said i know that they do tend to go out of their way to do a dinner once every tour or you know mm. something to make sure they say hello or, or that sort of thing um what what kind of interaction were you able to have during the course of those dates? No, I think we saw them at every. I, I think maybe at every sound check. Wow! Either Lars or James were watching us. That's amazing. Um, and just also because he was there looking at the venue, I think that that was also a really inspiring thing to see on that whole tour how how extremely passionate they are about what they do and how much they care about the fans and that the show is going to be well so they're they're actually in the venue pretty early just checking out at least from my experience I, I saw James there I think at every soundtrack he was you know it was cool of him you know watching us for a bit and you know say hi and, and all that but I think he was also just walking around around to you know try to get the energy check out that everything was okay on stage and that's so and cool. all that and yeah I mean, after doing that for so long with all the traveling and, and all that, I think that's a really cool thing to see. Uh, it seems like they and, and still enjoy very much the whole, you know, the whole, uh, the whole experience of touring, not just, you know, going to a hotel and then show up before, you know, you're, you're playing, but actually being around. That's uh, amazing. Cause that's, a, that's, that's another thing that they don't have to do, right? Especially the way that they've been touring Europe. Well, they'll, you know, kind of set up camp in Paris or somewhere mm. nice and, <laughs> you know, fly in and out of, of different shows. They really don't have to be there at all. It's really cool no. to hear that they're, like you said, even just getting the vibe of, of the room, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's funny to call them rooms <laughs> or touring in theater world club speak, but yeah, <laughs> uh, the venue. No, uh, but it, it was, we, we did, and, and, and Lars, you know, frequently stopped by um, our dressing room, always just asking if everything was fine, if there was anything we needed. Um, so, we, you know, we didn't see them a whole lot. Like you said, it's it's pretty different from touring clubs to do a tour like that. But uh, but they definitely kind of, you know, came around and checked in on us and, and yeah, took us out for a couple of nights during that tour, both for dinner and and drinks and after parties and stuff like that. Lars is very 
social and uh, seemed like he enjoyed our company so it was that was also extremely cool that's awesome experience it's funny too because in my all my years of being a journalist and working in the music industry and now the last couple of years of doing this podcast he's the only member of metallica that i haven't met or interviewed <laughs> which and every, and everyone laughs because they're always like you know usually in that kind of conversation he's the one that people have met <laughs> yeah. you know usually they're like i haven't ever met the other guys but yeah, he's the one i haven't met one of these days oh uh, he's oh he's something special i I'm still. I remember the first first time they took us out for for one of those dinners. Um, I think we were in Paris and we were hanging at the bar and and we're, we're six people in the band, and uh, but he's, it's. I think he knew the name of everyone in the band and when we were talking, he kind of made sure that everybody was engaged in the conversation. It's just those little things that I notice and think about afterwards because, yeah. you know, I'm having a hard time if I'm talking to to people just to you know be aware of everyone and listening to every everybody and you know all that but he's he you know he can even talk to six guys and and everybody feels like you know they're being that they're interesting for him and uh mm. and yeah just very different from from so many other people i've met yeah and you know mm. and, and, and isn't it funny this has been my experience you know because i've also as a journalist I've covered movies uh, just as much, if not more, actually, than music over the years. And, you know, when people ask me questions like, oh, you know, who's who's a jackass and who's cool and whatever. And I always tell people the the further up the food chain, so to speak, the bigger the the film star or the director, the cooler they've been, in my experience. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is they don't have anything to prove to you. You know, when you yeah. or I walk in the room, you know, Ben Affleck or Julia Roberts or or Lars Ulrich, they don't need to impress us that they're important. They know that we yeah. know. And if anything, it works in the other direction where they want to uh, get across the idea that they're a human being. It's yeah. it's more people who are sort of on the ascent, who are struggling to make a name for themselves or people who are you know, kind of fallen out of the limelight. Those have been the people yeah, that, yeah. that travel with the big entourage and make things Always. overly complicated. And, you know, and again, even as a music journalist, I remember uh, about 10 years ago, I did a, an oral history of the Vans Warped Tour. And so in the mm -hmm. process of doing that, you know, I talked to, you know, dozens and dozens of, of people from bands and crew members and sponsors and people involved with the tour uh, from all generations and young and old and everything and it was just kind of a fun social experiment to talk to that many people in, in rapid succession because i'm doing like a half a dozen interviews a day for a couple of weeks to see that you know certain people from certain bands that you've barely heard of you know you're coordinating with a manager a tour manager a publicist mm -hmm. an AR person uh, you know, to you know, going through all these layers and layers and layers to get five minutes with somebody, and then there are folks like, you know, Tom Dumont from No Doubt, who has sold millions and millions of records, who just called me on his cell phone and was like, "Hey, I heard you're trying to get a hold of me," you know, and, and, and not to say that those layers of protection and everything aren't important because they are in a lot of situations, but it's just interesting to see that, yeah, like I said, oftentimes kind of the higher up 
the food chain someone is, the less comfortable they are in their own skin. So the cooler they yeah. are, which, and then I would put with Lars, I mean, that's obviously been one of his gifts from the very, very beginning was his, his hustle and his tenacity and uh, assembling that, those early Metallica lineups and forging all the business relationships. And then his, mm. you know, everywhere that it's taken them since it's, it's, it's really astounding. I, you know what I, I think my favorite thing about him is, you know, speaking, obviously somebody who doesn't know him personally, but the thing I, I enjoy about him the most from the outside is his curiosity. And yeah. Such... I was about to say the exact same thing. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say that he's still so curious about things and he's, he seems genuinely, genuinely interested in people. Mm hmm. How does, how does this work and why do you do this? And, how, you know, yeah. And, and yeah. seeing him explore that in the art world and in the film world and, you know, that that extends to even the business world. I mean, there's a reason why I think he's friends with people that work at like Salesforce or whatever that you or I might not have anything in common with. And, <laughs> I, and I think it's because he's so curious that he can. Yeah. He likes to reverse engineer and, and pick things apart and understand them. I think that's one of the most important qualities in people i think if the world had more curiosity about each other we'd be in a much better place yeah absolutely and and i think they would make more fun stuff too yes um so <laughs> alex skolnick i think was the first person to point this out to me on the podcast and i've thought about it a lot since he mentioned it you know another big advantage a big asset of of lars being part of metallica that i hadn't considered as a kid is that him being a native Dane and, you know, having the flag of Denmark, like literally on his drum kit and, you know, being a European immigrant to America, that that really helped uniquely kind of position the band as an international band right out of the gate. And, mm. and, and like, even if it's in a subtle way. And, and of course now with mm. the lineup as, as it exists, you know, there's, <laughs> we hear a lot of talk about representation these days. There's a lot of representation yeah. in just the four guys yeah. of Metallica. Um, you know, as a native European, uh, do, I'm curious for your take on that. If, if, you know, how much do you think that may benefit kind of the overall picture and everyone feeling some ownership over the band, you know, it's like, cause everybody has kind of somebody they can see some of themselves in or something. I don't know. I thought it was an, an interesting point. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand what you mean. I, it's, it's kind of looking at it from from Norway. I think we always knew that, you know, he was from from Denmark and that that was a thing. But uh, but I think for me and, and most people, you know, Metallica was an, an American band mm. mainly. Playing, um, playing British it, metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might yeah. just it might just be because I just binge watched The Last Kingdom, so I'm thinking about yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Saxons versus true. the they're, Danes. They're, it seems like they're representing pretty pretty good uh, with you know also you know the different personalities and 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 everything in the in that band. They cover a lot of ground. <laughs> totally. Um, so I was reading, uh, I think it was Guitar Magazine was talking about your most recent record and there was a song on there a couple of songs anyway my, my point is somewhere in there they said that that the band fuses boston the replacements and metallica mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> curious curious how that hits you 
no, it's it sounds it it sounds pretty accurate to you know what we listen to. I don't I don't it's it's hard to tell you know what other people or critics really hear in your mu- music, but those are all bands that you know members of our band are are big fans of. So it's not it's not weird that somebody can hear some of that in there. Yeah, um, yeah, that's cool. Um, and I think, and I, but I think we all, we we're always a, um, from bands we've been touring with. There's always, um, there's always some songs or or some way that are an album we make after we've been on on a tour like that that will be uh, influenced. Uh, off those bands I remember after touring with Slayer we did uh, and there's when we were on that Slayer tour that's Slayer it's it's a band that everybody likes but it's I don't think it's been like the band uh, that we've been super inspired by from before but after that tour there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of you know thrash metal and, and stuff like that that started to come out when we were jamming at the rehearsal room and we had the same thing with the newest album on, on a couple of songs after touring with Metallica for a year where <clears throat> where uh, you know we wanted to make songs like Metallica where you can just go on with different riffs and you know don't look at the the, the watch and just you know <laughs> take it wherever yeah. it, it goes uh, the epic journey of <laughs> through the never yeah. as it were <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, when you put on your guitar and you're warming up, if Metallica riffs come out of your hands, what are, what are the riffs that you're most likely to play? Uh, tough, tough question. I don't know. I would have to try to put on a guitar and see what comes comes naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Master of Puppets, or no, but it could be anything. It could even be. Uh, uh, I don't know. I always, it, it, it could be so many. I always say that Master of Puppets is like the definitive. You know, if aliens appear yeah. on Earth and ask, like, "What does Metallica sound like?" That's the song. Yeah, <laughs> kind of got it all in there. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the first time you saw them live? Um, that, that was first time I saw them. live was probably when we played with them. Oh, amazing! Well, that's a great yeah. way to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was probably one of those that that summer tour that they that they did. I'm I'm pretty sure. That's about the best way you could do it. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when was the first time you saw Metallica? The first time we opened for them? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, land, landing the plane here, mm-hmm. and this is, and you did ask me if there was anything you should be prepared for, and I didn't tell you to prepare for anything, so mm-hmm. don't be uh, alarmed. But if you had to narrow down five songs that are maybe your top five Metallica songs, where would you start? Ooh, five five songs. Mm-hmm. Does it have to be in a particular? Could no, it be just and, and five? I'll make it easier on you by saying it doesn't have to be one, two, three, four, five. It can just be five great songs. Okay. Um, since we started talking about load and that area, 
error up pretty early on here. I'd say Hero of the Day. Oh, wow. Was, uh, yeah. I love that song. But yeah, I, th- uh, I, th- I thought you were going to say The Outlaw Torn because that's one of my top 10 Metallica songs. Ah. Oh, no. I'll, I'll, and, uh, oh, um, Mother Breath is definitely in there. Nice. Um, Master of Puppets. Oh, I wish I had my, uh, my CDs in front of me. Um, it would kind of be nice to pick something new because a lot of those uh, uh, Hardwired song came really good across live when we were. I love Hardwired, man. Um, now, um, now that we're dead is amazing. Yeah, Murder One. I mean, I, I love every song on on Hardwired. Really uh, Seek and Destroy nice. is in there. Um, let's, okay, I'm gonna cheat. I'm going go, going to go into my Spotify. Oh, and, that's not and cheating. Just... Okay. <laughs> this is a this is a classroom where you're allowed to bring your notes to the final All right. exam. <laughs> no, I just uh, uh, where spit out the bone mm. from yes from Hardwire. I'll have that one in there as well. And uh, how many? I think that might have been five. Let's see. Uh, Hero of the Day, Master of Puppets, Motor Breath, Seek and Destroy, Spit Out the Bone. Yeah, it's five. Yeah. I'll put in Saint Anger at the end there. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> you sure you don't want to go uh, Burnt Honey or... <laughs> One of sweet one of those songs. I don't. Even, I can't. Even, I don't even know the names of those songs. Um, no, but I. Uh, yeah, I, I know that you know, Saint Anger isn't the, the album that they, you know, was very. You know, I, I don't think. I don't know if it's uh It's the album that most fans are are into, but uh, I think there are some pretty cool parts at that Saint Anger Me too. song that I enjoy i think there's cool parts on the album i mean i'm look i'm glad it exists i'm glad it happened it was a necessary mm. part of their evolution and, and survival in that moment and you know when they bust out frantic live i i don't hate it but i have to confess that i do not listen to that record no. I, will, I will say <laughs> I, I, that i told uh i was telling people this for years ever since gosh 2007 or 8 or something they played an acoustic version of All Within My Hands at one of those bridge mm. school benefits, and it's amazing. And I would tell people, listen to that version of that song. It's mm. awesome. And then that ended up being, you know, of course, what they named their their charity foundation, and that song's really gotten a new life. And in fact, right now, you know, what remains of hard rock radio in America ha- has been playing the All Within My Hands version from SNM2. It's like charting right mm. now. So I'm, I'm glad awesome. to see that it that it's able to find new life. And, you know, not to contradict what I said about re- remaking and re-recording things, but, man, if somebody could grab St. Anger and just edit, mm. <laughs> I, think that, I think there's a killer album in there. It's, if, those, if that had been the pre-production demos that, that they brought into a producer and said, okay, we're, we're ready mm. to come in and carve out this album and figure out what it is, you know, that would have been, I mean, that's my feeling about like just about every Danzig album since Danzig five, 
<laughs> you know, I was like, maybe man, somebody should just demos. make a, make a cover album. <laughs> you know, of Saint Anger. That is not the worst idea I've ever heard. I think that that would be pretty <laughs> awesome, actually. Uh, uh, I mean, looking at getting five songs, it's you know we yeah. I know it, it was only five, but uh, yeah. Is there? It's uh, I'm ju- I'm just looking now that there's so many songs that I could have put in there. But you want to? But, uh, you can go ten if you want. That's, that's how it. There's is. no rule. It's, anar- no, you it's know, anarchy I think, here. I, think, <laughs> I, I like the I, I like that it's. That it's always like this with in- interviews when people ask what's your top five different stuff and I you know I say different things every different things every time because you know you don't go around remembering you know you maybe you have some top bands that you listen to but there's always something new and there's always something you forget so yeah. maybe this is the truest way to choose five Metallica songs yeah and it's gonna you know and and the fact that it always changes means that you're always open to new information <laughs> which um <laughs> again if more people were uh, open to just new information that would be yeah the world would be a better place well if and when the world returns to any kind of normalcy i gotta say norway oh, yeah. norway is a place i've never been that i've always wanted to go so maybe i'll come have my pink floyd phase in norway yeah. <laughs> say hello to you, <laughs> you should. Um, it's a it's a it's a nice place it, it looks just gorgeous. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, it's definitely, definitely a place I'm fascinated by. And, and again, maybe just because I've just binge watched The Last Kingdom, but you know, I've got <laughs> <laughs> Scandinavians on the brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I massively yeah, appreciate it. Fun. Yeah, thank I was you. was really happy to hear back, and 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 I have to say again, I'm how much I appreciate not only the great audio quality, but you have a great podcast voice. So if <laughs> everyone else has a podcast <laughs> now, so if that's ever been a, a thought of yours, you should, you should go for yeah. it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll have to do something new soon. We can't start touring again soon. Indeed. More, uh, yeah. side, side hustles. <laughs> they used to call them path, uh, yeah. multiple revenue streams. Now they call them side hustles. Yeah. So cool, man. Well, thanks again. And I right. uh, appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. 